night I introduced the third of the Brahma Viharas, that of mudita, or appreciative joy, or an unselfish joy. It's the capacity to experience an altruistic joy that stems from connecting with others through their joy and happiness. In these moments, we let go of a self-referencing happiness and through their happiness, find delight and well-being in our own hearts and minds. Through this practice, we find that the joy in the world multiplies. We find how inexhaustible it is. We find how it can tap us into the vastness. It's another way of breaking down boundaries of separation that keep us isolated and alienated. So tonight I'd like to speak about this in greater depth. Just putting together this talk was um, a reminder to me of what happens when we turn our mind towards certain aspects of experience. So last night, before I went to bed, I was working on this talk. And then I found throughout the night, I had these really joyful dreams that went on all through the night. And then tonight, as I was sitting, um, preparing to come to the talk, and just sitting and reflecting in my own mind about mudita, I started to feel so happy. And in fact, I was feeling so happy that I thought, ooh, I better make sure I sit with my butt on the cushion tonight and not be carried away by the near enemy of exuberance, (laughs) where we get over-elated with this feeling of joy. So tonight I wanted to begin speaking about both happiness and joy. These are two words that um, are often intertwined. Some of us may have different meanings for each of these words. Some of us, it may be very similar. And so it isn't that I want to um, you know, pick apart the meanings of these words, but I just want us to find a way of relating to these words, and I will use both words in my talk tonight, um, that points towards the natural delight of the heart that is free, a joy that is not attached, is not, there's no craving in it. It's just a delight, a freedom of the heart. <clears throat> happiness, true happiness, can manifest as complete ease and peace in the body and mind, a deep sense of well-being, Well, sometimes we might think of joy as a real lightness of heart, a buoyancy of heart, um, this quality of delight. It's a delight in the mind that kindles interest, care, attentiveness, and a softening of the heart. The root meaning of the word mudita 
is to be pleased in mind or have a sense of gladness or to have a tender heart. So using these words to point towards the lightness of our inherent nature, the joy that gives wings to our hearts. And just to explore a little bit about joy and happiness um, itself and how often we may have really limited views of what joy and happiness are. And this can keep us from touching into the real depth of joy that is possible. And in our lives, happiness plays a vital role. Lama Yeshe, a Tibetan master, says, from the moment we wake up in the morning until we fall asleep at night, and even throughout our dreams, we are driven by desire. And behind all our desires is the wish to be happy. So we have this underlying desire to be happy propelling us through not just our waking world, but our dreaming world, propelling us through our lives. And yet, so often, we have very misguided ideas about what will bring us happiness, about how we can find happiness. Our misdirected happiness through thinking that we can find peace and contentment through the experience of the sense doors or through the acquisition of material goods, having harmonious relationships, having the right job, that all come down to thinking that we will find happiness when life aligns itself with our desires our wants, rather than when life aligns itself with the truth of the way things are. And when we do this, when we keep seeking happiness outside of ourselves, we find life becomes painful, disappointing, Sometimes we feel that nothing is worth doing, nothing is worth having. Sometimes even great depths of despair, where life doesn't feel worth living. This is when we failed to find that happiness through these experiences. We failed and we think that we were wrong, life is wrong, rather than really recognizing this isn't how we're going to find happiness. It's where we don't have a full and complete understanding of how the truth of impermanence, the truth that all of these things will pass away, can actually help us to find a greater freedom, 
to find a joy that is reliable, a happiness that is not based upon conditions being a certain way. I was recently reading a sutta about a monk named Samidhi. And in the sutta, the monk is asked by a devata or a celestial being why he is giving up the happiness of sense pleasure for a vague promise of happiness in the future. And he replies that he is giving up the promise of happiness in the future so that he can dwell fully in the present moment. And it's when we dwell fully in the present moment that we can experience a pure joy. When we're not living, either grasping at the future, fearing the future, when we're not living caught in the past, in the events that have happened, when delusion is not present in the mind, then we will find that there is naturally happiness and joy. And our practice is to help us step by step to find a deep peace, happiness, and joy. A joy that is not so fragile. We begin to experience this joy as we nourish the qualities of love within ourselves, as we uh, nourish qualities of wisdom, the strengthening of wisdom, as we strengthen compassion, the ability to open to the pain of the world. And there comes a joy and delight in the mind for walking this path, for nourishing these qualities of heart and mind. I remember a time in my own life when I really began to pay attention to what nourished me, what helped me to feel vitally alive, what helped me to be present. I learned to let this sense of nourishment be my path itself, to follow that which invited more joy, happiness, and peace into my life. And when I learned to listen, to really be able to hear more clearly, have a greater sense of what brought me to life, it made it very easy to let go of patterns and habits that didn't serve me, that kept me tied up, bound, caught in fear, afraid of the future, afraid of life. So in our lives, paying attention to that murmur of the heart that starts to wake up, that starts to know and feel alive, and to notice what supports it.
Of course, in my own life, this didn't mean that the challenges disappeared, that suddenly everything became this um, wonderful garden in which there was exploration. There's still difficulties, there's still challenges. Mahagosananda, a Cambodian monk, once said, If we cannot be happy in spite of our difficulties, what good is our spiritual practice? One of the reasons this quote touched me um, quite deeply was my own knowledge and experience of Mahagosananda. He is an elderly Cambodian monk who lived in Cambodia when things were really, really horrific. Um, He was a beacon of light to people as they were faced with immense tragedy in their lives. And then a few years ago, I was at a teacher's conference and Mahagosananda was there. Now he's getting quite elderly and his memory is really starting to fail him. But as I was sitting at this conference, I couldn't keep my eyes off him. I just kept looking at him because he was glowing. He was bright. He was vibrant. You know, it was a joyful presence. And, you know, at that time I was really reminded once again of the Buddha talking about how what we turn our minds towards is what we will reap the fruits of. And so here's this man who's losing a lot of the faculties of mind, ones that we so often treasure in our lives. And yet what's remaining is this radiance of heart, this joyful presence. One of our misguided ideas of happiness um, that we bring to practice is that all of the difficulties and challenges will disappear. But it's in in spite of the difficulties and challenges that we face in life that we still be able to hold this lightly. We still be a, we're still able to know joy, to know happiness, even though there can be immense suffering in our lives, in our world. And this doesn't diminish the suffering. In fact, it helps us to open to the suffering. It helps to give a buoyancy that will not drown in the suffering. A really wonderful example, uh, one that I love, is, you know, just there's so many Buddha statues around. And there's the Buddha sitting in a very noble posture. And often the Buddha will have just this ever so slight smile on its face, on his face. And this is um, said to be the smile of mudita, the smile that can be present even though there is an immensity of suffering all around us. It's not the casting aside of that suffering, but it's the buoyancy of heart, the resilience of heart.
Our practice is that of watering the seeds of happiness and the refinement of our understanding of happiness and the causes of happiness. When we are lost in delusion, when we're not seeing clearly, it's really difficult to be able to discern what are the causes of happiness. This is where um, delusion really blocks us from being able to open to this capacity of the heart. In our experience, we might find that joy is not always so easy to get in touch with. We might find that we're very well-trained at noticing what's wrong with our experience. But we often uh, fail to notice what brings joy. We're afraid to notice what brings joy. And we find that there's a struggle, almost, in learning to open to joy. And in a way, it's quite understandable. Because for so long in our lives, and so many times, when we've been seeking happiness in misguided ways, we've been severely disappointed when things have changed, ended, when that which we have placed our heart upon, that which we've had trust in, suddenly disappears. Whether it's a failed marriage, uh, the loss of a loved one, um, or maybe our house burns down. Whatever it may be, whatever way in life that we were trying to make ourselves feel more safe, secure, happy, and then suddenly it's gone. And there's a pulling back. There can be a shattering. We become disillusioned, often devastated. But the joy that we speak of comes from being able to open fully to both pleasure and pain. And so needing to learn And, you know, it can be feeling like a total beginner to learn to open to joy. It was a surprise to me in my own practice how much fear that I carried when it started to feel really good, when conditions were pleasant, when there was the dull light in the mind that just stayed present moment after moment, continuity, and then fear. You know, it's going to end soon of wanting to pull back, wanting to brace myself so when it ends, I won't be disappointed because I know it's going to end. And, but not letting myself in that moment be touched by the joy. So what we haven't done in a case like this is learn to open 
to pleasant experience, learn um, to open in a way that is free of attachment, that can just let things come and go. And, you know, when I was putting this talk together, it surprised me when I came up with a way to learn to touch into joy was to practice being with loss. You know, it sounds contradictory. But when we really learn to be with the comings and goings, we learn to be with the impermanence of life, the heart begins to rest. There's no clinging, attachment, identification with what's coming through. So when pleasant experience happens in your practice, notice what the reaction is. Now, I know for me it was this voice of, oh, it's just impermanent. You know, but that wasn't a healthy reflection. It wasn't helping me to open to the experience. It was cutting me off, trying to keep myself safe again, so I didn't experience the disappointment. It's not to mean that the reflection on impermanence is not a healthy reflection, because it can be done in a skillful way. But noticing if by reminding ourselves of impermanence, It's a way to keep oneself safe, a way to keep from fully opening and being connected. We find that fear will, in many ways, keep us from experiencing joy. Fear that we're not good enough where it moves us into comparing mind. Others are better than us, worse than us. Comparing mind when there is a sense of separation. And I'll speak a little bit more about this a bit later in the talk when I'm speaking about mudita. Ideas about happiness and joy can keep us from experiencing, touching into this joy. Where we have ideas that it's frivolous, it's superficial. You know, I remember when I first heard about metta practice, you know, may you be happy. You know, it felt like it was just um, touching into a really superficial level of life because, because we can you know, go through life have, trying to put on this cheery face uh, when someone asks you how you are, oh, I'm fine, you know, and it doesn't have that great depth to it. And so you know, when we think of it, of happiness and joy, if we think of that's only um, the superficial aspect of life, it will keep us from really touching into a happiness that has immense depths is vast, is immeasurable, was the word I was looking for. (laughs) 
And sometimes our ideas about happiness and joy are pretty much undetected in our minds. And yet they will filter our experience. They will, you know, in moments when we have the possibility to touch into a pure joy, they will bind us. These ideas will hold us back and keep us in habituated patterns. So I'd like to now speak about some of the conditions that can support us in opening to joy. The first being honoring our desire to be happy. Really honoring that. Now, as I said and has been said many times, it's a wholesome urge. It's a wholesome desire that can run our lives, and yet when we bring wisdom to it, it it can have great fruits, great benefit. And somehow, you know, we can even be afraid to say, I want to be happy. You know, as if, who are we to be happy? Who are we to know joy? And yet it's the whole movement of our hearts. It's what we all so deeply want. We can also begin to notice when we experience joy in our lives. Can be that we really overlook moments where there's capacity to touch into joy. Nature is a way that often we can touch into joy. Sitting in the morning, the sunrises here are so beautiful. And when we're not worried about what we did in the past, when we're not thinking about what we should be doing in the future, but we have a moment where we can just let our hearts be touched, experience the joy, the beauty in this moment. We might experience joy when there's an act of kindness from another, when we feel touched and cared for by someone else. There might be a moment of joy when we see a beautiful smile on a loved one's face. We might have a moment of joy when at the end of a day we know that we simply did the best that we could. And there's just a moment of, ah. We start to notice these moments of joy and we can give ourselves permission to open to them, to allow them and to even encourage them. When we learn to open to joy, we also work with the overcoming of the fear of clinging. So it's very important.
It gives us confidence. We learn that we can open. We can love. We can be tender. We can be touched. And we can let go as life moves on. William Blake in his poem, Eternity, says, He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Our job being to kiss the joy as it flies. The joy of the heart that is not confined by craving or attachment. Another way of encouraging joy is, as we did uh, when we were doing metta practice, we began one day with seeing the goodness. Seeing the goodness. When we take time to reflect on positive aspects about ourselves, qualities we can appreciate, or at the end of a day to reflect on things that we've done in that day that have that sense of goodness to them. It's really easy, it should be really easy for all of you here on retreat. During the day, practicing, doesn't matter if it's a really good day of practice, a bad day, that's all from the judging mind. But at the end of the day, to take time to acknowledge the work that you've put in, how in being here, you are honoring your deepest intentions of heart and mind. And, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with how you judge the practice to be. But just taking the time at the end of a day to let yourself feel that goodness. You know, and this is really different from being conceited about what we've done. But just appreciating that we came, we sat, and we did the best that we could. Last night, I began the mudita practice with another way of getting in touch with joy, and that's of gratitude. Gratitude helping to soften the mind to the appreciation of all of the blessings in our lives. And there's so many blessings. I'd like to read something from uh, Jack Kornfield's book, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. It's just a reflection on gratitude. With gratitude, I remember the people, animals, plants, insects, creatures of the sky and sea, air and water, fire and earth, all those joyful exertion blessings my li- blesses my life every day. With gratitude, I remember the care and labor of a thousand generations of elders and ancestors who came before me. I offer my gratitude for the safety and well-being I've been given. I offer my gratitude for the blessings of the 
earth I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the measure of health I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the family and friends I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the community I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the teachings and lessons I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the life I have been given. Offering our gratitude instead of reflecting on what we don't have, what we think we need. Looking to what we have, what we have been blessed with. Gratitude helps us to have the confidence in life that life will support us, that it's not against us. And this gratitude gives rise to joy. It gladdens the heart. At one point in my own life, this was um, almost a very life-saving practice. And it happened at a time when I was really sick. In many days, the world seemed dark and dreary and hard. And, you know, at times feeling like the light had just gone out. And I made it a practice then to look at something and to appreciate it and to stay with it until my heart was touched. You know, it was often nature. It was often a sunset or the ocean or a plant, or a friend. But really, just letting my mind rest with the experience until the heart opened. And that brought a ray of light into a mind that was becoming very dark. It really did feel like my lifeline. Generosity is another means of gladdening the heart. In a moment of giving, we let go of desire or grasping, and at the same time are abandoning aversion and ill will. It helps the mind to become more pliable, less fixated. It helps to uh, lessen the grip of clinging. It helps to lessen miserliness. No, when we're offering, we're giving, relinquishing, there's the letting go, the releasing. It helps us to break down the habits of always putting ourselves first, which keep us in the state of separation. It also helps us to work with the fear of not having enough. And all of this helps to lighten and brighten the mind. The cultivation of wisdom or seeing clearly brings the greatest of joy where there is the unbinding of the heart. An unbinding that happens not through getting our practice perfect, but through 
the recognition of the inherent empty nature of all experience, and this freeing us from the torments of our mind. This can bring the greatest joy. So now I'd like to speak a little bit more specifically about mudita. As with all the Brahma-vihara practices, we need to cultivate these states as they are so covered over by the habits of mind. There's a poem that I love uh, by Galway Canal that I'd like to share tonight because it speaks to me, um, and I, it sh- it's in Sharon Salzberg's book on loving kindness, and it just so speaks to me of what the Brahma Vihara practices are about. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self blessing, though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness to put a hand on the brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. This to me describes the Brahma-vihara practices. To reteach a thing its loveliness. And this is what we're doing as we do these phrases, these practices. It's as if we're putting a hand on the brow of the flower and retelling it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As I already mentioned, mudita helps us to connect with the resilience of the heart that has the capacity to hold suffering, to hold it lightly. Helps us to keep from getting broken or overwhelmed by the immensity of suffering. And it also helps us to keep from getting caught in a self-referential framework of living. It really Um, strongly works with that because when we practice mudita we are practicing it for other beings rejoicing in their happiness touching you know and when we do that it's not I'll rejoice in your happiness so I'll feel more happy it's just that pure delight in knowing touching into their happiness Through the practice of mudita, we find out how contagious this happiness can be when we can allow it, when we can tune into it, when we can uh, really invite it into our lives. The joy is not an exuberant, raucous energy. 
um, as I mentioned, exuberance is the, the near enemy of uh, mudita, or that which looks a lot like mudita, but is not actually. You know, when, when we experience this exuberance, um, you know, it's like getting a carried away by the energy of joy. And we lose the connection. You know, and it's like, oh, everything's great, wonderful. You know, but we're not really deeply connected in that moment. <clears throat> I love this description of mudita that comes from a, a Sri Lankan woman named Eileen Sirawadana, who is a pr- professor in Buddhist studies. She says, Mudita is a joy and appreciation flowing quietly out of the core of one's heart towards others like water from a spring flowing outwards from the bowels of the earth. The joy can be really quiet. Small children are great teachers of mudita. To watch a child as they offer a gift, and they offer the gift to a person, and that person's face begins to shine. And then you just watch the child's face in seeing the happiness on the other person's face. It's so beautiful. I know um, someone once was telling me about how they have a granddaughter and each night when they go to bed, that they would do this little practice where they would wish happiness for you know, parents, friends, um, and people around them. And then one night the granddaughter said, you know, I'm, I find that I'm much happier when I wish happiness for you. That she could just be happy wishing happiness for someone else. <clears throat> One of the people in my own life who really embodies this quality of mudita is um, Hogan-san, a Zen master that I've spoken of a few times. Uh, He's a being with a very generous heart. Um, And the first time I went to pick uh, him up from the airport, I arrived to find this monk with these two humongous bags. You know, I first of all thought, oh my goodness, I thought monks traveled lightly, and these were huge suitcases. But what I came to find out was that inside these suitcases was just mountains of gifts. And so when he'd be um, staying in an area, you know, as people would come to visit on retreats, he would all the time just be handing out these gifts. And then right before he'd want to leave, he'd want to go back to the store and pick up um, more gifts for when he got to his next destination. But I noticed not only was he generous in this way, but that he was, you know, really had this ability to rejoice in another person's happiness. And so, you know, people, I would watch him with people, and they'd come along, and they'd be happy about something, and he'd be, he'd be happy with them. And then one day it happened for me that I received this piece of news, and in hearing the news, I just had great joy. And I was with him, and he saw my joy, and he just grabbed my hands, and we started jumping up and down in the middle of the room. You know, it was like we were these four-year-old kids. 
But one thing I really knew about him was that he didn't get swayed by that. In the next moment, he could come in with the Zen stick. You know, he didn't fall into collusion or ride that energy. But when it was there, he opened fully. <clears throat> In order to open to the joy or happiness of another, we have to let go of our own ideas of what that, their joy or happiness should be like or what should bring them joy in their lives. Because as we do mudita practice, we aren't waiting for a person to experience the ultimate joy, but to open to what is wholesome in their lives that gives cause to the arising of joy. What is their good fortune in life? And so if we're holding on to ideas about what should make a person happy, then that will block this capacity of the heart. Mudita is said to be, um, in the commentaries, one of, or the most difficult of the Brahma-viharas, And I've also heard it more recently described as the most neglected. I found out that this was somewhat true when I was doing some research on the internet uh, about the Brahma-viharas, and I kept finding links to the other with the other Brahma-viharas, and then Mudita would just sit there in a word by itself. So I don't know if there's a relationship between it being the most difficult and the most neglected. It can be that we tend to neglect in our lives that which is difficult, that which is challenging. Um, But there is some specific difficulties to working with this quality. Judgment being the first one. Judgments that become limitations to ourself and to others. You know, I spoke of one form of judgment in just judging the type of happiness or joy another person should have. But also where we're, uh, you know, it can set off envy, jealousy. When, you know, we see somebody get something and they're really happy about it. And maybe we have some capacity to to open to their happiness, but really, we'd like to have what they want. You know, and, or we think, wow, they don't deserve that. I should have that. Um, or we think, or we have some sense that you know, there's only a limited amount of happiness, and so if they have it, then we won't have it. And so we become envious of what they have. We want it. We're jealous of it. And we're really feeling separate in these moments. We get caught in this wanting what the other person has. Or we move into comparing mind, where um, we compare ourselves to the person and 
find that we're less than that person. Or, (laughs) I think my mind just did a jump. When we see someone else glowing in their radiance of happiness, we might feel that we're not as good as, that we might feel that our inadequacies show up. Um, We feel like there's something wrong with us. I mean, you might notice this in your practice, that if somebody's walking around, and you notice that suddenly they become really radiant, happy, or look really peaceful. Are you happy for them? Or are you thinking, I want that? I found it a wonderful uh, practice in many daily life situations. You know, it's not that we have to do mudita uh, really intensively to gain the benefit of it. But it can be a training in the mind in these moments where we're caught in jealousy, envy, comparing mind, to look and see. Can we focus on, rather than this restriction on our own heart, the joy of the other person's heart? And I, you know, having lived at IMS for over nine years now, I think IMS is really trying to do its part in the uplifting of the value of this Brahma Vihara. Because, you know, often in our conversations around here, we will find opportunity to practice mudita. Um, it happened, you know, one day in a staff dining room. It was over at the retreat center, and tempeh was served. And as we sat down at the dining room table, there was a number of us there who were not so fond of tempeh. You know, and we were kind of caught in our disappointment about there being tempeh. And then there was one person amongst us who says, oh, but I'm really happy that there's tempeh today. I really like it. And it was amazing. In that moment, it was a a collective consciousness. We all went, oh, and we were all happy for that person. You know, we could enjoy the fact that there was tempeh and that this person was happy. I know one time, uh, just I guess last fall, I was doing a course on the Abhidhamma. And it was a brilliant course. And yet, you know, it, it, Abhidhamma, it's, um, you know, really points to some fine and subtle teachings of the Dhamma, really spelling the finest of experience out, uh, really pinpointing things. And so there was a, a tendency in this class for people to really want to talk, get into discussion about. And sometimes it just seemed uh, kind of, it was splitting hairs. It was, you know, people, I, I don't know. There was a lot, it could be a lot of judgment about it at times. And I just wasn't quite that interested. 
And so, you know, at first I was struggling with these moments when the conversation would seem to go on and on. But then I started paying attention to the people who felt that they had something to say, something to share, or wanting to look in a different way at something. And I just started feeling the energy of what they were bringing to that. And, you know, they were very happy with this. They had a mind really different to mine, that they could delight in this. And so I just started sitting there being happy for them. And, you know, in that way, it really helps to erode these tendencies of jealousy, envy, comparing mind that are really torments of mind and very separating and alienating. And, you know, they're a really fun way to work with these tendencies. You know, sometimes we may sit and open to the pain of jealousy, the pain of envy. And that may be what we need to do to just really stay with it. But at other times, can we just focus the mind on a place in life where there is joy in that moment, where someone is experiencing that lightness of heart? In working with the cultivation or invitation for joy to enter our lives, we can first become aware of life's little joys. We can become aware of the quality of joy when it's present. We can become aware of the quality of joy that is present with just simple attention when we're attentive to life. We can become aware of the quality of joy as we share the abundance of our lives, when we share the blessings of our lives. We become aware of joy when we touch into gratitude. And then we find the capacity to experience joy when others have happiness and good fortune in their lives. I'd like to share a teaching from Nyanaponikatera. He's a German-born Theravadan monk. Let us teach real joy to others. Many have unlearned it. Life, though full of woe, holds also sources of happiness and joy, unknown to most. Let us teach people to seek and to find real joy within themselves and to rejoice with the joy of others. Let us teach them to unfold their joy to ever sublimer heights. Let us bring joy into this world. I'd like to close tonight with a poem that's not 
about mudita, um, but it really speaks of the sense of what happens through the Brahma Viharas. It's called A Love Letter by Nyano Sakaki. Within a circle of one meter, you sit, pray, and sing. Within a shelter 10 meters large, you sleep well. Rain sounds a lullaby. Within a field 100 meters large, raise rice and goats. Within a valley 1,000 meters large, gather firewood, water, wild vegetables. Within a forest 10 kilometers large, play with raccoons, hawks, poison snakes, and butterflies. Mountainous country, a hundred kilometers large, where someone lives leisurely, they say. Within a circle 10,000 kilometers large, go to see the southern coral reef in summer, or winter drifting ices in the sea. Within a circle 10,000 kilometers large, walking somewhere on the earth. Within a circle 100,000 kilometers large, swimming in the sea of shooting stars. Within a circle a million kilometers large, upon the spaced out yellow mustard blossoms, the moon in the east, the sun west. Within a circle 10 billion kilometers large, pop far out of the solar system mandala. Within a circle 10,000 light years large, the galaxy full blooming in spring. Within a circle 1 billion light years large, Andromeda is melting away into snowing cherry flowers. Now, within a circle 10 billion light years large, all thoughts of time, space are burnt away. There again you sit, pray, and sing. You sit, pray, and sing. So let's sit for a moment. May all beings give wings to their hearts with joy.
Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teachers, guides of great virtues, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, may the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life. May they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. Unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, May darkness and delusion be dispelled. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.